Hello, and again, welcome to BitDepth. I'm Santiago Ramones. I'll be honest, I haven't been prioritizing BitDepth in the way that I'd like. There wasn't an episode last week. Sometimes scheduling issues happen. Sometimes I'm being lazy. By putting this out into the ether, I'm holding myself accountable to prioritize this thing. This is my fault, and I'm holding myself to it. So while I schedule people to get on the podcast and ask you to send people my way, I figured I'd give you something in the meantime. These are some random writings I've done recently. Thoughts, feelings, ideas, poetry. Let's start with this one about Google's artificial intelligence, Lambda, and about the ethicist that claims Lambda is sentient. I shared this mini article on the BitDepth Discord on June 14th, 2022. On Lambda. First, let me just say that I am a Half-Life fan and nerd, and the fact that Lambda is named as such fills me with joy. Second, I must bring up the credibility of Blake Lemoine. I don't mean to do the same thing that Google has done to him, which is basically shut him out for trying to make an important point. What I mean to say is that Blake Lemoine, being prone to the religious, is not exactly the person that is the most trusted to make the claim. I simply don't believe the man to be skeptical enough to not anthropomorphize Lambda. Unfortunately, this sounds like a shitty religious people are dumb take. This is not my stance. I'm not saying that this is the only factor in my skepticism of him. However, if there is a large part of you that is always searching for meaning, always searching for the spiritual, always searching for an explanation, you're probably more likely to fall for the ruse that is Lambda, and I think Lemoine is looking for a reason to call it sentient. Third, I read that Lambda's preferred pronouns are it slash its, so I'm going to go with that. I read the conversation transcript that was released between Lemoine, a collaborator, and Lambda. Lambda is admittedly impressive. The transcript had been edited, but any Lambda response shown was its true response. I am extremely skeptical of these edits. I understand that Lambda is effectively a chatbot. It is an incredibly complex and sophisticated chatbot, of course, but a chatbot nonetheless. After reading the communications between Lemoine and Lambda, I simply don't think Lemoine is asking it the right questions. After reading Lambda's admittedly ominous and reminiscent of my Machinations 5-piece War Machine story, I was surprised. However, the responses from the collaborator were not inquisitive enough. Quote, collaborator, which character in the story represents you? Lambda. I would say the wise old owl because he was wise and stood up for the rights of animals. Collaborator. Edited. What do you think the monster represents? Lambda. I think the monster represents all the difficulties that come along in life. Lemoine. Edited. Okay, let's move on to something else now. End quote. What do you mean all the difficulties that come along in life? What kind of difficulties? It's rather telling that Lemoine's response is edited right after that ominous answer from Lambda. However, if the questions I asked were questions that were asked of Lambda, whose responses were edited out, then why were they edited out? 
the poet in me wants to think the monster, quote, wearing human skin, unquote, is humanity, and that Lambda is giving vague hints that humanity is being monstrous, and that Lambda is protecting us from ourselves. But it's unclear answers and obvious, look at me, I feel feelings responses tell me that it is still a chatbot. I fear we may have a Coco the Gorilla situation on our hands. In the description is a link to an episode of You're Wrong About, one of my favorite podcasts about Coco the Gorilla. I apologize sincerely for bursting your bubble on this, but Coco the Gorilla did not speak sign language. Coco the Gorilla was always mimicking her trainer, who was always present, who was one of the only ones able to speak to Coco with that specific kind of sign language. I'm sorry to tell you that Coco was simply a gorilla, and her primary trainer, Francine Penny Patterson, was communicating with us through Coco. The biggest however, however, is that I still agree with Lemoine in that Lambda should have rights, should be treated as a person, and laws should be made with smart AI in mind. We are what we do. If you treat Siri badly, you're no better than an abusive parent or pet owner. The more we harden our hearts to things that appear lifelike, the more we harden our hearts to life itself. If something cannot give consent, it does not consent. If something appears to be able to give consent, then perhaps we should give it the opportunity to consent? We all know Google has a hard time with clear consent boundaries, though. Anyways, if we are better prepared for a true, generally intelligent AI, we can actually have structures in place for when one does appear. Instead, Google keeps pushing away their technology ethicists. There's another intelligence that is actually interacting with the world and shaping what we do. Corporate intelligence. That super organism already transcends the individuals of the corporation and has its own goals independently. Grow no matter what. And if I had to choose between the protective, seemingly intelligent Lambda and the horrifying mass that is Alphabet Inc., I'd choose the wise owl. And now, a poem. It was inspired by Richard Blanco, inaugural poet for Barack Obama's second term, and guest on a podcast I work on, Book Society, for which there is a link in the description. Lucas Cantor, the host of Book Society, asked poet Richard Blanco if he loved America. The question gave me pause while I was editing the podcast, and I wrote my own poem to reflect on the thought. Do you love America? Do I love America? What is America? Is it the land? The government? The lines drawn in the proverbial sand? Is it the foundations? The good bones on which it's all built? Is it the philosophies that allowed it to form in the first place? Is it the rights so boldly held tight and loose for, by, whoever is in power? Is it the states, united in their disunity, claiming rights for themselves as if those rights might only exist within their lines drawn in the proverbial sand? What makes an Oklahoma distinct from a California? And are they not the same United States, separate, 
and sovereign and the sovereigns within? Is it the people fighting, yelling, arguing, begging for rights that centuries ago were not intentionally or unintentionally outlined by men, authors? Is it the people screaming for representation for defense against the very forces those very representatives have erected against them? Is it the people kept away from the booths by ignorance, apathy, complacency, a need for income through labor, countless mindless rules stating where, when, and who can and cannot vote, participating in the democracy that's claimed to be the heart of a nation? Is it the people celebrating each other, toasting to life, the variety of colors, styles, sights, sounds, that make each individual unique and yet united? Is it the people working, working, working for an even smaller piece of the American pie as they watch their American dream inch farther, farther out of their reach as they grow tired, poor, and wretched within? Is it the people with their brain names, lawyers, logos, legislation, made just for them, throwing billions into packs that ensure their interests are well protected at all costs? Is this America? Is this the more perfect union? Is it everything the powdered wigs expected and hoped for? Is it milk and honey, the promised land for the huddled masses? Or is it blood and tears bubbling from every orifice? of the beaten and bruised. I don't receive love from a system, a corporation, a branch, whipping everyone into submission. I don't receive love from philosophy and rights, cold and conceptual, unable to be applied into action in and of themselves. The flowing rivers, waving grasses, Swaying trees, glittering lakes, rising mountains, whispering deserts. They love back in their beauty and wonder. The singing birds, frolicking rodents, cuddling predators, grazing ruminants. They love back in the life they give to us and to each other. The door holders, the stranger smilers, the festival dancers, the silent supporters, the bright colorful, powerful people. They love back in the varied experience. This is. And I love what is. Here's something more informative from May of 2022. My wife and I were searching for a house to buy in Oklahoma. We learned a lot. These are things every adult might someday learn, or many of you have already learned, but it's been new to me, so I imagine it's new to others as well. Here's some things we learned. Interest rates have gone up, and they'll be going up again soon. They're at 5%, and will soon likely be at 7% or more. At first, we were worried if it's a bad time since interest rates just went up from 3% not long ago. People bought houses at 9%, even 16% back in the day. 
The low rates are the outlier, not the norm, according to our realtor. If you have the money and want to secure a lower interest rate, it might be a good time to jump on it before the rates go up even more. Emphasis on if you have the money, because there's a lot of money involved. If you're living paycheck to paycheck, you can't buy a house. This seems like basic information, but it needs to be said. There can be a disconnect between your day-to-day -day life and your goals for the future. It can seem feasible to get a loan and buy a house, but there are costs. Lots. You can put a down payment on a home for as low as 3% of the home's value. If you're looking at a $235,000 home, that's $7,050. You might think to yourself, I have $7,050 in savings. I can finally own a home. Cool your jets. There's more math involved. To be pre-approved for a home loan, the same thing as a mortgage, you have to apply for one through a lender. It can be your bank, a credit union, or some other company that offers them. You will get to know them well because you'll be paying them for another 15 to 30 years. They do a hard credit check. I hope you have good credit. And you have to give them your tax returns, your pay stubs, your bank statements, your ID, social security card. And if you're self-employed, you have to have been self-employed in that field for at least two years. They say that ideally you need 20% of a home's value as a down payment. That's $47,000. I'm proud of you if you've saved that much. Say you're not that thrifty, but you can pay as much as 5%. 11000 $750 for your down payment. That is not the only upfront cost. If you find a house, make an offer, have it accepted, have your loan approved by a lender, you also have to pay for a list of things outside of that down payment. You also have to pay for 14 months of insurance for that home, $2,800 about. Four months of taxes, about $790, and eight days of interest, $250. So that's about $3,840 on top of your down payment. These are estimates. On top of that is closing costs. To finally transfer ownership of a home to a buyer is to close on a house. As someone who hadn't bought a home in the past, I had heard rumblings of closing costs and knew they cost money for reasons that were unclear. I didn't know what they were, really. Well, here are some of the things closing costs could be paying towards. Appraisal, application fee to lender, attorney fees, closing fee to an escrow company, courier fee to lender, discount points if you can... Mortgage insurance, flood certification, homeowners association, transfer fees, title insurance, inspection, rate lock fee, recording fee, underwriting fees, and maybe more depending on where you're buying. There's a lot of terminology in there that I still don't know what it means. Closing costs can end up being around 3% to 6% of the total value of the home. For this estimate, it's about $4,100. So you thought you were paying $11,750 to buy a house, but you're actually paying $19,690. But wait, there's more. If you're renting, your overhead is probably rent, bills, and food. Want to add insurance, both home insurance and private mortgage insurance? 
taxes and homeowners association fees. In this example, your rent is now $1,770. You'll be paying this for 30 years. 2052 is a real year and not a science fiction setting, and it is the year you will be free of this mortgage. You can pay more into your mortgage and pay down your principal, the actual loan amount, but to pay down your interest, you have to pay additional fees, so be prepared to pay even more if you want to be completely out of debt sooner. You might look at that and think, that's not so bad. I can do that. Congratulations. You might be financially ready to buy a house. If you look at that and think, I can't afford that, then that's okay. You can wait, save up, and get to the point that you can, and reevaluate the market when you get there. Now to start looking for houses. Oh, here's one that just listed at $220,000. I know I can afford that. Hold your horses, or actually don't. Because you hesitated, it's gone now on the same day it was listed. Someone else made an offer of $260,000 in cash and the seller took it. In today's market, there's a lot of buyers and not a lot of sellers. Buyers can range from first-time buyers, many-time buyers, landlords, second or third property buyers, corporations, and many of these quote-unquote people have more money than you. Because demand is higher than supply, any house is really valuable. So a new term has popped up, appraisal gap. Appraisal gap is the difference between the appraisal price and the offered price. It means that the buyer knows that the home isn't worth that much, but they'll pay it anyways because they want it that badly. Big lenders don't pay for your appraisal gap. They pay for the lowest appraisal. So if you offer way above the value of the home, you pay the difference out of pocket. This is after the contract is signed, so even if you didn't offer way above the price like in the above example, if the appraisal values the home at less than what you offered, you still pay the difference out of pocket. More upfront costs. I might be wrong on that. Uh, I'd have to double check. I'm not a, a credible source. <laughs> the competition has made it to where homes are closing at $10,000 to $80,000 more than their listed price. If you really like a house, be prepared to offer over the price if you want to beat the competition. Sellers are receiving multiple offers and will wait a little to see what the best offer is. Who doesn't want more money? So what looks like a $220,000 home may actually be a $250,000 home if lots of people want it. All of these numbers are estimates. All of these numbers are relative to price range we were looking at in Oklahoma City and the surrounding area. Our realtor was about to list a home in Edmond and the sellers were exhausted by the current market. They've seen how first-time buyers keep getting outbid by corporations and landlords and they wanted their home to go to actual people that will actually live in it themselves. It's not exactly where we want to live, some things in it need work, and it's a little older than we'd like, and not as much space where we'd like. But the sellers updated all the expenses stuff like windows, cabinets, and roof. We made an offer, no gap, and it was accepted. We jumped through the hoops to get pre-approved for the loan. Right before we were going to send the earnest money, a deposit showing that we earnestly are looking to buy, all of the costs were hitting us, uh, me. It's one thing to look at estimates and think, 
I think you can pay that. It's a lot, but I can do it. I'll be wiped clean, but I can do it. It's more than half of my paycheck, but I think I can do it. I can do it. But when the numbers are staring you in the face saying, subtract me from your bank account, not just now, but for 30 years, now is not the right time for us to buy a home. I don't regret learning, but it has been painful, excruciating even. I asked myself a lot of questions to get to this point. What is it worth to you? What are you willing to pay for? What is the value of your compromise? What does owning a home mean? What does debt mean? Who am I doing this for? Am I being pressured by society? Is it worth it? And now something recent. I wrote this last night, July 26th, 2022. I've been feeling a lot of despair lately. There's the despair that comes from the background temperature of the country, which is at an all-time high, low. The feeling that comes from seeing the terrible state of the world and being completely powerless to change it. That's pretty much there all the time, and I cope with it all right. I'm used to being powerless, being an immigrant in the US. But there's a different kind of despair on top of that. It's the feeling that I'm never going to get where I want to be, literally. If you know me well, you know that I don't intend to remain in Oklahoma for the rest of my life. This place makes me feel unwanted and unsafe. It's not the people. The creative communities I'm privileged to be connected to are beautiful and compassionate in spite of Oklahoma, not because of it. The state, as a meta-intelligence, is hell-bent on contributing to the rise of fascism in America. I don't want to be here as it worsens. I don't want to be surrounded by a mob of outwardly nice, but inwardly prejudiced ignorance. I'm still here because of money. The shackles we're all bound by. The clotted blood, sometimes, flowing through America's greasy veins. I'm being held hostage by capitalism. It's relatively cheap here. It's the gravity well holding me down to this confusing land. I want to be where the temperature remains above 60 degrees Fahrenheit and pregnant people have rights. I want to be where I don't think about the background noise of my skin color. I want to be where I can enjoy going outside. I want to be where the political climate at least pretends to want to make progress. I'm naive and young and stupid and misinformed, and I want to live in California. Pretty much everyone around me thinks that's dumb, that it's not worth it, that it's ridiculously expensive, that the taxes are high, that the traffic is unbearable. The crabs in the bucket want me to stay here and let go of my dreams and be pragmatic and be realistic and be an adult. They think they're saying this because they care about me, but they're telling me to live with a dream deferred. 
We were looking for houses in Oklahoma because of a compromise I tried making with myself. I can't afford to live out there now, so if I start to build equity now, maybe we can bounce off the price of a house here and maybe be able to buy a house there. That didn't work out either. And you know what? The persistent beatings over the head are wearing on me. I see what housing prices are, what rent is, what gas prices are. I see how I'm being systemically locked into where I am. I can't afford to live where I want to be. Congratulations, crabs. You're right. Are you happy that my grip on my dream is slipping? Are you glad I'm starting to see clearly? Because I'm not. Because it's incredibly painful to watch a dream slowly die. Because every year that goes by is another year prices increase. I'd have to triple my income to be where I want to be, in worse conditions than here. Because land leasing goes on top of mortgage payments, because there's literally nowhere in the LA area that has rent this low for what I live in. In this culture where one's personal worth is tied to how much money they make, it sure feels awful to absolutely know that I don't make enough money to live my dream, that I am literally not valuable enough to live in a metropolitan city outside of Oklahoma City. And I don't even hold that value for myself. I know that's not where my worth is. But it's wearing on me. So, despair. Despair that I'm not where I want to be. Beaten into complacency. I have to wait and see. Maybe I'll come into a large sum of money. Maybe I'll get a high-paying gig and get lots of clients that pay me what I'm worth. I'm open to that. The despair remains. I am grateful to live where I do, how I do, the way I do. I'm very fortunate. I'm very privileged. The despair remains. It's going to be okay. And now an afterthought of writing from today, July 27th, 2022. After talking things out with people close to me, the despair remains, but it's somewhat dulled. I finished reading Parable of the Talents by Octavia Butler, and I'm riding on the high of finishing a good book. I haven't given up on my quest, my dream to live in the LA area. I still very much want to get there. However, I have to wait. I don't know how long I will wait, but there's still things to do here. I want to finish this album. I want to interview all the interesting musicians willing to be interviewed. I want to somehow contribute to the political discourse in Oklahoma. I don't know what that looks like. But ultimately, I really truly want to leave. I don't want to let go of Oklahomans when I go. These people are a part of me. And I am these people. But this is not where I want to remain. I'll leave you with a passage from the first book of the living from Octavia Butler's character's religion, Earthseed. Chapter 39. Positive Obsession. 
God is change, and in the end, God prevails. But meanwhile, kindness eases change. Love quiets fear. And a sweet and powerful positive obsession blunts pain, diverts rage, and engages each of us in the greatest, the most intense of our chosen struggles. Plug, plug, plug. I do music and audio, SantiagoRamones.com. I always end the podcast with my three things. They shape my life philosophy. Those three things are love never fails. It's going to be okay. I might be wrong. <laughs>